The presenting sponsor of On Education is Participate. Lately, teachers from all over have been working together to find new approaches to provide quality remote education. Participate's sister company, Participate Learning, presents United We Teach, a global gathering place for educators to share distance learning resources as we navigate these strange times. For these resources and more, visit participate.com slash oneducation. I, I would just like to get through 2020 alive. I mean, can like that's where we're at now with 2020 it's just live (laughs) welcome to on education part of the on podcast media network my name is mike washburn and i'm glenn irvin friends we have an awesome pod for you today we will discuss how we can prevent students from cheating on assessments during virtual learning It's back to school time in Ontario, and it's not going well so far, and they haven't even started. And our guest this week is educator and author, Michelle Eaton. Everyone should get there. I I suggest everyone pause the podcast right now. Okay. Get out a card, like a bingo card, and write down, like, all (laughs) of the words and catchphrases and terms. Not catchphrases, but words you would use to talk about learning and online learning and and teaching during Mm -hmm. like the last six months and then let's see how many after you finished listening to us talk to michelle let's see if you get a bingo from it's like it's like it's like pandemic learning bingo yeah um, with michelle eaton uh it was a fan such a fantastic interview and really i'm telling you i learned so much we were talking about it after we after the interview just how much um, we need those types of conversations to happen right now, away mm-hmm. from the tools and towards the learning. So it was fantastic. Was it yes. was? It's funny how we we did, and you describe it so well in the the interview. But we did exactly what we always said you weren't supposed to do. Yeah. Like as soon as as soon as the pandemic hit. Everyone started talking about tools, mm-hmm. and no one talked about what they were actually, you know, doing. <laughs> so I know. And, you know, <laughs> you couldn't go to a goddamn conference over the last 10 years related <laughs> to technology and not have someone rant about, you know, the, you know, pedagogy before, you know, tools. Talk about it's not the tool, it's the student. Talk mm-hmm. about the it's not the learner, it's not the tool, it's it's not the technology, it's the learning. Mm-hmm. You know, every conference had a session where someone said something like that. To that effect, and yes. We just ignored all of that. <laughs> Free tools? Give and it me was some. like it was like Minecraft, <laughs> Flipgrid, Zoom, let's go. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing yet. But we're gonna use it doesn't this matter. stuff. Just give me it's all this be, stuff. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> That's what we just did. Oh my god! So you know, there's that. Yes, but it was a great conversation, anyways. Yes. And you should totally listen. It was yes. awesome. Um, so hey, I want to congratulate you because. Mm. You are a YouTube partner, and that's actually not like a small thing. It's hard um, to get. <laughs> it is hard to get. It has you have to have this like magic combination of like subscribers, which is hard enough as it is. Uh, I mean, the on education YouTube channel has actually shockingly tons of content on it. 
Mm. Um, but we only have maybe 80, 90 subscribers. You have a th- over 1,000 subscribers. By the way, go subscribe to On Education. <laughs> uh, there is yes, lots of sure. content there, and there's yes. going to be more. Um, <laughs> but you also have to have this, like, watch hours. Yes. That's the hard right? part. Which is actually the hard part. Yes. You know, cause... if you didn't think getting subscribers was hard, actually, people watching your content is even harder. <laughs> and they have to be engage so much in the content that they continue to watch they don't just turn it on right. go, i can't stand this guy that you're not like so bad that they which is my problem right you know it has to actually be good uh, i think you're pretty good too so <laughs> you're selling yourself like, short but yes. what a what a great accomplishment to have uh, a, a youtube partner channel like i mean that's a big freaking deal so i was super excited when yeah. you when you when you shared that on twitter it's rad it's really awesome and, and if people don't know, basically what it lets you do is, in the past, actually... Now he can actually, make money. He, now, yeah, listen, yeah, exactly. now he's, now he's going to be rich. <laughs> There's a new button that now appears in my options when I upload videos, monetize. and it's called monetize. <laughs> and it gives me a variety of packages on on the ability to be able to monetize and also to be able to monitor <laughs> my earnings as the pennies add up. <laughs> so you're going to go to Glenn's channel and you're going to, you're going to, you're looking for that great Schoology video that yes, he made. Yes. <laughs> but first, let me tell you about the new Mazda RX-6. Yes. <laughs> Some kind of commercial that doesn't even fit with anything. You've got to watch the first five seconds. You're like, God, these are annoying. Glenn's going to monetize all of his videos. And be sure and you so click on the gonna ads. Make, he's going to make $10 a month. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you're going to learn, you're gonna learn all about the Mazda Yeah, it RX-6. is so hard to actually make money though on youtube oh yeah you have the, to have a huge amount of volume oh my goodness the volume you have to hit is just incredible um so mike asked me right away i think joking but maybe not as far as joking like which am i which am i gonna which video am i gonna monetize first and honestly i i don't think i will it's kind of one of those things where it's cool that that you that it happened yeah um but there's no reason to go and throw in this freaking annoying five second ad at the beginning. Or those, even the worst ones, Mike, are when the you're the ones in the middle. Oh, those I'm going to show so you. Bad. I'm going to show you how to add this file to Schoology, and then oh. it's like boop. Oh, it skips right past that. Yes. <laughs> no, yes. there's an ad, right? So then oh. you got to wait for the oh, ad yes. before you see the actual it's thing. It's right waiting at that hit moment, right when yeah, you yeah, say, exactly. "Okay, so it's right here," and then boom. <laughs> The Mazda RX-7. <laughs> That's right. You can totally do that now. Yeah. You you wield an incredible amount of power, Glenn. I know. Yes. Uh, no, I, I think it's just, it's an awesome, uh, it's really cool that there's that, the amount of minutes that you have to have, I don't know if it's 40,000 minutes or some, some ungodly number uh, in the past year that they monitor. And then you have to have over a thousand subscribers and yeah, no, I mean, people are watching the uh, tutorial videos. <laughs> you know, they're watching the, watching the, the different introductions videos. to different tools. That's really what I've done. The, my channels, like I told Mike, is a conglomeration of a lot of strange things. If you start looking real deep, you're going to find some uh, me playing FIFA, uh, me singing and playing the guitar, <laughs> and then a whole bunch of ed tech videos. So it gives you a little variety platter if you ever wanted a random channel. That's definitely Herb Spanish on YouTube. We're gonna we're gonna link the channel in the show notes so that you can go check that out and subscribe. You might as well smash that like button. Yes, I love when the people Friends. say that. Subscribe 
and smash the like button. That's right. <laughs> oh, That's freaking right. awesome. So, so yeah. We're uh we're playing Minecraft. Yeah. On the server. People should come and watch on Twitch. Uh what is it? Twitch.tv slash Mr. Washburn. Totally. Yeah. Uh also um yeah, come play. So I'll put the I'll put we're gonna just keep putting that um join form in the show notes. If you want a place to play Minecraft, just come on play on the server. Come and play on the server. Um we're building lots of cool stuff. Um found a woodland mansion today, which wow. was super exciting. That's something new too that was added, right? And then I burnt it down. Ooh. By accident, by accident or purpose? Yeah, no, totally by accident. <laughs> I I was like clearing I was burning and people are going to hate that I burn trees a lot, but I, I totally burn trees all the time. I light them on fire because it's so much easier than chopping them down. Uh, so I was lighting trees on fire around the Woodland Mansion. Okay. Um, but, you know, Woodland this Mansions going, made, made of wood. Made out of wood. <laughs> burn it down. Burn oh. it to the ground. There's a really wow. good picture on Twitter. Uh, if you scroll, if it's Wednesday when you're listening to this, if you scroll scroll back on my feed a couple of days to Monday, uh, you'll see I, I I burnt the woodland mansion by down. my woodland mansion. So feels bad. It was nice seeing you for a while. Yeah, yeah. It was a couple hours. <laughs> Found it. Super excited. Yeah. Flew there on my. Oh, flew yeah, there on my Elytra. Your wings. Yes, yes. Because we killed the Ender Dragon. Yes. So yes. that was the big news. Uh, not without some drama and and issues with the server and a bunch of other stuff. But uh, Mark Henkels, uh, he's I can't remember what his Twitter username is, but he's uh, he goes by the handle Twenty Ninth Doctor, which is something related to um, Doctor <laughs> Who. I'm also okay. not a Doctor Who people person, me, so someone me needs neither. to. So never got into that. me on that. I should get into it. It seems like right up my alley. <laughs> I should get into it too. <laughs> so yeah, once you kill the Ender Dragon, you get access to the end, uh, and then you go through the end. You find an end city, and you're looking for an end city with a ship. And then on the shippers, there's an Elytra. Now I can fly around everywhere, and that's wow. pretty fun. That, that does sound like fun. So new, you new should come and play. Glenn, okay. for the record, has join. not come and played on the server yet. <laughs> I need to do something like that instead of playing and grinding myself down with a uh, Hearthstone. That seems like actual fun. Yeah, <laughs> the Hearthstone no, thing kind of gets on your nerves more than anything else. <laughs> it's it's been a blast. Okay. Um. So we're 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 back to school soon here mm. in uh, in Ontario, and you're you're back to work, not yes. students yet. Um. As students far as I know, next right? Week. Yeah, yep. students next yep. week, which is the same as us then. Um. But I thought I would just run down some really bonkers bullet points mm. on on back to school in Ontario, just just in case, because I mean we talk a lot about comparing and contrasting the the school systems and yeah. in Canada and the U.S. And generally speaking, I I would also say that um, for the most part, the Canadian school system you know is is really really good. Yeah. Um, but uh, for lack of better words, Ontario is really kind of. Um, well, I was going to say something offensive, but I'm not going to say that <laughs> shockingly. Um, they're not doing a particularly good job right now, mm. um, which shouldn't co- come as a galloping shock, considering you know Doug Ford is the premier of Ontario. But mm. besides that, let's just move on from that because we can't do anything about that. So. 
here's what's what's it's some of the crazy just some of the craziness um amongst a whole bunch of craziness so most ontario schools and i don't know what this is like in the states but most ontario schools even new ones don't have any air conditioning don't yeah, have any air ventilation that. units don't have any kind of air circulation systems um at all they're mm. just they cost a lot of money right i mean yes. um and when you you know, have to put them on a big school. I mean, we're talking like $50,000 in AC, yeah. right, for each school or, or whatever. More, yeah. So, but, I mean, hey, newsflash, you can't go back to school in a pandemic where there's like nonsense floating around in the air without any sort of air circulation system. I mean, oh, so so what yes. they did was um, one of the things the Ontario government did was allocate some money towards um buying hvac type units for mm. schools some of the schools that didn't have any which is almost all of them um and they're definitely not all installed yet Uh-oh. so you know so they just didn't sorry they just announced this like two and a half weeks ago just Ooh. for the record so two and a half <laughs> weeks ago they said hey we're gonna buy you hvac units um and put them on your roofs and we realized also that there are because schools were not built with like proper AC in mind, mm-hmm. there are classrooms that don't have like ventilation, like ducts, like the duct work mm-hmm. in the rooms. Oh man! So there's no way to get there's air no to air those rooms at all. Oh no! Because they just weren't built for that. So that's just one. That's just one. Mm. So. And if you want to make it worse, now that they're realizing, now that they're tearing schools apart, you know, just before school starts to put these things in, they're also realizing that all these schools that were built in the 40s and 50s and 60s yeah. um, have asbestos in the, oh, sc- in yeah. the walls. So they're, <laughs> they're, That's and an they're issue. not, you know, they're not, um, what do you call that, abating when they, when they, you know, yeah, bring in like the ventilation room sure, and they tarp it all off and then they like suck all the asbestos out with a mm-hmm. giant hose. Not doing any of that nonsense. Why, you know, why do it the right way <laughs> would, when you can, why would, why would you do anything the right way? Yeah, that just doesn't make sense. So asbestos in the, in the school and Jeez. you know, it's just, it's just there. Um, I just heard, um, a story today. Hmm. That so so one of the the biggest point of contention in Ontario now has become class size, yes, and and that class sizes are not necessarily and not really being reduced at all. Um, we know that class size is like one of the most critical components, not just for like teaching and learning success because we've always known that you know yes. you know if you have smaller class sizes you, you have a you know better um, better outcomes, mm-hmm. but. You know, from a health perspective, they actually gave us a number and then they said 15. 15 is the kind of the ideal class size for back to school during this time. So um, whether you abided by that or not in whatever state or county or province you live in, um, but 15 is kind of the generally regarded accepted number. Um, they're not doing any of that. Okay, Ooh. So class sizes are all the same. And what's happened is because... Um, Ontario allowed families to opt out of going back to school in person and say, we're going to learn online. Yeah, you can And they online. have dedicated online teachers in Ontario. Okay. But so, so what's happened is about 30 
25 to 35% of a school, uh, a school's community has chosen to have their, their kids learn online. Okay. So it's each a good school number. is losing. It's a good number, right? Yeah. I mean, and you would think, you would think, hey, this is actually really good because now all of our class sizes are 25 to 30% smaller. Oh, no. I know where sounds, this is going. Sounds great, right? <laughs> Yeah. But what they're actually doing now is they're collapsing classes mm. and actually making like they're smashing un- them together un- ungodly splits. So not just like because like splits in Ontario are pretty common, like a one-two split where half the class is grade one, half the class is grade two. Oh yeah, yeah, combined. Yeah, split, yeah splits okay. are fairly common. Okay, but like um, three grade splits Whoa. never happen. And now they are? So they're collapsing classes yeah. into, like I heard today, there's there's a class, there's a school in 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 Peel, in the Peel District School Board, that is a 2-3-4 split. Wow. That's quite so a... So 10, 10, 10, 10 2s, 10 3s, 10 4s, or whatever. Okay. 30 kids. So not, wow. a, not a small class anymore. Just small amounts. So instead of saying, we're going to take the twos and make that a class hire a new teacher let's make a, a, a class size of 10 they'll have a great learning experience and they'll they'll be a lot safer no now they've actually gonna... made it worse now they've given one teacher three different grades that they have to teach oh, they have to teach all the subjects in those three grades and there's 30 of them in the room or so that sounds like a terrifying job my goodness i mean if it not even the health the hell concerns thirty kids, but it's to basically teach a bad idea all around. Grade levels is wow, so, dang, ooh, um, and just like the, there's definitely not enough. So, um, my wife has been making masks mm. like crazy, like she is the mask lady, um, which is great. I mean, we have tons of masks floating around here, and they're all really well made. They're great. Yeah, she's definitely found her new hobby. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, we found out a few weeks ago that um, you're not allowed to bring in your own personal masks to school. No. You have to use masks that they give you. So they're sourcing masks and and delivering them, shipping them to the schools. Well, why? That's weird. There are schools that are only getting like half of the amount of masks that they're supposed to get. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you call and say, okay, so we got half, where are the rest? They're like, that's a great question. <laughs> they have no idea. Oh, my goodness. No idea where the rest of the masks are. Not Assume they're not coming. So so these are like a, like a daily mask, Mike, or something like that. Or something that you could wear I, for I a mean, few days I or a week so. or something like that. I don't like know. That. Because, if, I mean, if they're not letting teachers bring in their own masks and they sure as hell better be masks that they can be reused yeah gosh this is not a good start as you described so not all wow. rainbows and sunshine up here in the uh in the great white north friends um <laughs> you know it's a shit show everywhere is really what i'm saying um how's it how's, how's it going in minnesota um it's you know we don't ha- we haven't had students yet um, 
we did get our supplies, um, our face shields, uh, masks, um, some of them branded with our, uh, our mascots, um, our storm mascot, which is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, just tons of things, just exactly what you're talking about. It's, there's so many procedures. It's such, so procedure heavy to try to do this, uh, at an administrative level. What an endeavor that these, that all, that none of these, obviously none of us teachers ever signed up to do anything like this. <laughs> we never thought that this would actually happen, obviously, um, from the teaching online to teaching kids that are here and kids that are online at the same time and so on and so forth. But our administrators to manage basically a crisis situation and follow health guidelines and then being tasked with basically keeping everyone safe in the best way that they can, man, I just, I, the, the job that they're doing as far as in my local district and what I've heard throughout uh, many districts throughout Minnesota has been an overwhelmingly positive uh, take from fellow educators That's people have really stepped up. And I mean, it's freaking, uh, what a terrifying situation as far as what you were responsible for, the health of all of our children and obviously your employees also, and and try to manage uh, you know, the day, the way that people are gonna move, the movement of students, the movement of uh you know, the traffic in, the bus routes, the this, the that's how where do you eat? You know, what can you do? And then just kind of do that and we haven't even had the kids yet, like you just described. W- once we bring the kids in, then that's when the real action begins that's when the real learning as far as learning of the procedures and and then you know that throws just another you know obviously that wild card element of what will our students and how will they uh react to these though i've heard in other states as our guest described um, michelle eaton that the kids are so resilient and so willing to go ahead and and do whatever they can on there and which i when she was saying describing that i was like you know what that is students. So often um, you hear kind of in the back, you know, the, the, the cafeteria, or sorry, the, uh, the staff lounge talk, Mike, where it's like uh, the negative talk, you know, of kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, kids these days, blah, 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 whatever it mm-hmm. might be. But you know what? So often that is actually, and actually most of the time, that's actually not true. Most kids are super resilient, willing to go ahead and do whatever they can. And once you give them a, you know, a, a thing, uh, for the procedures, the tasks, what do they have to actually do? They're more than willing to abide and then help out with, in any ways that they can. So that, that actually brought that back. And I was like, yes, kids are freaking awesome. There's a reason why we do this as educators because we love being around our students. And um, I think they'll... They'll obviously it'll be an adjustment period. There'll be some crazy stories out there of what happened and what you know kids decide to do or not do, whatever <laughs> it might be, because it's going to happen. But overall, um, I'm not worried about the uh, the students as far as them, you know, complying and doing the things that they they have to do in order for all this to actually work. Um, yeah, but it's crazy times. And next week, I mean, each week, like we had just talked about before, I think we're going to hear. We're going to see more stories, different things that happen, whatever it might be. And like we've talked about before, we're obviously going to report all of the things that, you know, the craziness that happens. But, you know, there's a lot of really, really positive things, too, uh, that occur out there. And and we want to report those things, too. We want to talk about those awesome things that you guys are doing and your kids are doing because um, that, that keeps us energized. 
Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. So, you know, when kids do go back to school, yes. um, they're going to be learning online. Uh, they're going to be doing, um, you know, assignments and projects and, I guess, tests. Ah. Um, and so we came across this article. I guess you came across this article the other day um, written by Thomas Gusky. Um um, uh, related to what to do about cheating on assessments and virtual learning. And um, I don't have a whole lot to say with this other than that I love that this whole article seems to have been reframed mm-hmm. um, to talk about why teachers would even, or why kids would even cheat to begin with. And I thought that whole part of it. that article was my favorite part yeah. about it's, you know... It's exactly think, yeah. it's exactly what you think it is. Yeah. You know, why kids cheat. They don't cheat, you know, because they want an awesome mark if you are yeah. confused. Yeah, no, and I mean it's it's one of those times when, you know, we talk about sometimes, Mike, when we hate clickbait titles. Yeah. I actually love this clickbait title because it'll draw in educators who are looking for a solution about it basically says what to do about cheating on assessments. Right, right. right. They're like, Oh, cool, cool. I want to. I, I need to know <laughs> Not what is that. Realizing that it's really an anti-test essay. <laughs> uh huh. It's, it, it, it's where's like, that tool? What's the, what's the right thing? What's the right thing? And really, what it does is it reframes it. What you just finished describing. Why are students cheating? Yeah. Why are you spending all of this time as an educator focusing in on how are you going to prevent them from cheating on this? You know, this assessment. And really, what we're talking about is a summative assessment. It says, mm-hmm. how about we focus a lot of our time on what we know. Uh, has an impact on student learning, not a summative assessment, but all of those formative checks, the freaking learning that goes along and then the, the using that data to be able to change the way you teach. And really the whole entire article is written about that and saying, you know what, maybe there isn't a, a great way. And actually I was, I was approached by uh, educators today about this exact topic and I didn't respond right away because I didn't want to, obviously, I, I want to be able to listen to people's needs, you know, as far as the fellow educators and whatever it might be. But they were talking about how do we prevent students from cheating, you know, while they're at home, you know, whatever yeah. it might be on these on these tests because of blah, 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 and we know this and whatever it might be. And here's the ideas that we came up with. Um and really it is, just as this article describes, I highly recommend you guys reading. It's like a four-minute awesome read and we just need to kind of take a step back away from that just like uh the big national tests and and these big uh huge uh testing that we do as far as the united states that we know isn't really that it's not impactful at all as far as whether students are learning or not and then say what is impactful what should we actually be focusing on let's take a step back away from those things and then we can figure out you know how do we uh, authentically assess their learning. That's really what people are wanting to know. I, I, I want to reframe it for anybody that's out there that's, you know, okay, how do we prevent cheating? Well, no, no. How do we like know exactly what students do know? And then how do we, you know, where do we go from there as far as in teaching? That is the awesome question. That's the real question that we should be asking, not about the cheating part. Um, and a great read, a great reframing of that. And the more that we mention this and we talk about this, both as you know, as teachers and as administrators, and parents maybe start demanding this too, 
the more that we move away from, like you just talked, the marks, the grades, start moving away from that and going like, what did we actually learn? You know, as far as this, yeah. that's when we're freaking making massive progress as far as in teaching uh, and especially in student learning. Um, but until we do that, we're always going to be caught up with how can we best catch those kids doing that? You know, they're looking at something or they're yeah, texting yeah, yeah, their yeah. friend, the math yeah. question about whatever. It's like, yes, that's possible that they could do that. And there are going to be some students that do that in this situation when you put them in this situation. But what is it that we actually want them to get out of the class and how do we yeah. measure what they've actually learned in an authentic way without putting it into this, you know, into our traditional way of I'm going to give you a test this every Friday or a yeah. quiz every Friday and test every two weeks or whatever. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, we can, the more that we pull away from that, the, I think the better that we'll, we're all going to become as far as educators, education in general. I, you know, it's brilliant. I'd never thought of it that way with the title yes. and how people are going to totally be going to it to, <laughs> you, you know, you're going to, you're going to come for the title and hopefully you're going to stay to be talked out of it. So, uh, yes. <laughs> so that'll be, that'll be nice. That will um, be nice. Yeah, really good article. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, friends, we had an awesome conversation with Michelle Eaton, and she is next. So stay with us. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Michelle Eaton is a director of virtual and blended learning in Indianapolis, Indiana. She focuses on staff and course development and the district's various blended initiatives and programs from elementary school to adult education. She's the president of the ISTE Online Learning Network and the author of The Perfect Blend, a practical guide to designing student-centered learning experiences. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So why don't you go ahead, other than all of that stuff that I just said about you, share anything else you <laughs> want to share about who you are, what you do, um, and, and what brought you to us today. Well, you gave quite an introduction. I don't know what's left. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Michelle. I'm really passionate about online and blended learning. I've cared about it um, for a long time. Before, it was really cool to care about oh. online and blended learning. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I wrote The Perfect Blend. And the the goal for that, I'm a former second grade teacher who um, dabbled with blended learning years ago, kind of online learning kind of fell into my lap. Honestly, I didn't fully believe in it when I first experienced it. And then like most things, you experience something that's really high quality. And then all of a sudden, I became a believer. And um, so I wrote this book. And I'm hoping that it will help teachers develop blended classrooms that will make them more efficient, better educators, improve learning experiences for students. Um, I, I wrote it before I knew anything about COVID and it uh, just it published at a really interesting time. Had I, had I known, I probably would have added a chapter or two um, before sending it to publish, but um, it, it's nice to be able to provide something for teachers that I think is really applicable right now and, and really helpful in what our learning environments look like right now. So Michelle, if people that are listening right now are listeners, they, they've probably heard the term blended learning. It's one of those things that 
um, is everywhere in education, whether it be on edu Twitter or in professional development, even in the concept of scheduling. And I think that could be a misconception because we are going into a blended learning schedule right now. And so can we define blended learning? What is it and what is it not? So you're exactly right. Blended learning is a term that we've all heard and maybe not heard an accurate definition of it. Uh, Really simply put, blended learning is any combination of online learning. So not just technology integration, online instruction, assessment, um, teaching, and more traditional um, learning experiences in a brick and mortar building. And that's a pretty vague definition. And the reason is blended learning comes in lots of different forms. And I think about it on a spectrum where if you think about the spectrum where one end is mostly online and the other end is mostly traditional face-to-face, any combination along the spectrum is blended learning. And so, you know, when we are back into classrooms and business as usual, things go back to what feels like normal for us in classrooms, you can have blended learning just by incorporating small pieces of online learning into stations. That's um, what you see in a lot of elementary classrooms. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you could have students who are working through courses at their own pace that are fully online, but they physically come into a lab to work with teachers in small groups to provide some additional support. And, And that's blended learning too. And then what we're seeing now because of trying to go to school during a global pandemic, many schools are looking at hybrid models of going back where students are face-to-face for a couple of days and then online for a couple of days. Well, that's a combination of online learning and face-to-face instruction, and that's blended learning. Mm -hmm. So um, it has a really simple definition, but I think part of the reason that we get so confused about what it really is is that it can look like a lot of different things. And so, you know, speaking of, you know, pandemic is uh, that we're in the middle of um, and enjoying every minute of it, I have to say, Um, you know, experience in blended learning. I mean, it's something I I think every educator wishes they had, um, you know, six months ago, Um, you know, and and probably every educator in North America has went through professional development of some sort in the last six months as well, related to teaching in a blended and online environment. I don't think it's ever been more important, the point, I don't think it's ever been more important than it is like right now to know how to do this and know how to do it well, don't you think? I totally agree. Yeah, we're all, all of a sudden... Um, it was an option, you know, six months ago to do blended yeah. learning, and it's not really an option for us anymore. It was a novelty, even <laughs> a little bit, right? Where right. you'd be like, "Oh, I teach some of it online, and I teach some of it," and you were like the special one, like you were like <laughs> right. the one that was doing something interesting and innovative. And now it's like you you have no choice. Yeah, I think um, th- the reason we don't really have a choice is because we have these very specific challenges we're all facing this year, regardless of the context of what learning looks like for you. Across the country, we have schools going back in different capacities. In our own, my own school district, we have fully remote students. We have students that are fully back. We have hybrid. Uh, we're, we're kind of doing a little bit of everything. But the challenges that we all face are that this year, we have to be able to teach online and we have to be able to teach face-to-face. 
for many of us, we have to be able to do that concurrently. You have students quarantining at home and you have students face-to-face -face in your classroom. Um, and, and that's a challenge that we all face. We all are going to face this year the challenge of students that are at a distance, whether that's physically distant or even socially distant. Uh, because even if you have 100% of your students back in the classroom and we have them three to six feet apart, sitting in rows, facing forward, we're not sharing materials, we're not collaborating in the ways that you know, we know that good teaching and learning looks like. And that presents some additional challenges. And then finally, we, we know that regardless of how we start this school year, we may, we're not going to stay here, that at some point we're going to have to move fluidly um, from one environment to the next, from one model to the next. And blended learning is the thing that makes us capable of doing that. It's, that is the structure that allows us to work efficiently and um, manage this school year. So I think you're absolutely right. It's not an option. Michelle, I was going to ask a follow-up with that. You were just speaking about the concept, which is happening throughout the country. And I think it's very intimidating for teachers in general that we are responsible for the kids that are in front of us in many districts, but also these other students who are also at home. So in our schedule, we have what we call a blended schedule, <laughs> a concept of some students will come on some days and some will come on the other days so that we have uh, you know, less numbers and so on and so forth. It's a, it's a really good concept for social distancing and keeping appropriate numbers in schools. Do you, uh, I, one of the con ways that we're doing this or we're approaching this, and as I was actually just talking to Mike about it before you came on here, that's is it a good idea to go ahead and basically synchronously teach both of those groups? Or is, is that an approach that we should actually be doing? Because that's kind of one of the technology barriers, you know, that we're like, well, we could Zoom live this, the live stream the course and have this audience out there. Because honestly, that's what we're doing for many of our teachers, because it feels the most comfortable, you know what I mean? Um, or should we be now taking that another a, a different step, an extra step and going, okay, we have that barrier as far as time is there, but maybe we should be approaching it in a different manner. I don't know if, if that makes sense. And maybe even just give us advice because I know a lot of uh, listeners out there, instructional coaches, directors of technology that listen to this podcast specifically for these pieces of advice from experts like you. I, I do. I've seen this, right? I've seen a lot of a lot of places where they don't necessarily have the staffing to have a full virtual program with full-time virtual teachers. And so the only option is that the teachers that are physically in the classroom are teaching the students that are home. And, and that's not ideal in any scenario. You can be a really good online teacher and you can be a really good face-to-face -face teacher. And it is so hard to do both of them concurrently. Mm. Um, I don't... In my perfect world, I do not think that live streaming to students at home while teaching synchronously face-to-face -face is a great option. Um, and I think that for, for a few reasons. One, when we, you know, everybody across the country now knows what synchronous and asynchronous means, and we've overused those terms <laughs> so much at this point. Um, but I think this all this conversation about synchronous instruction and and live instruction has put the lecture on a pedestal in a way that hmm. is shocking 
um, in a way that we never would have accepted in a face-to-face -face classroom. But we have conversations about what to put synchronous and there's so much, so much around direct instruction. That's our, our yes. go-to. And this is the most important thing. And it needs to be, it needs to be live and they need to, they need to hear my, my voice. Um, when really I have really strong opinions about online learning, go figure, um, that it can't be done in the exact same way that we do face-to-face. -face. That's why we want to, that's why our, we initially go to like live streaming. Cause that's the thing that we know and that's what we're comfortable with is, is, that's the thing that looks closest to tradi traditional teaching. Yes. But the reason that so many people don't believe in online learning is because they've experienced a version of online learning that's just us trying to make face-to-face -face happen online. And that's then a great point. when we do that, when we, when we try to do that, then we just create this cheap imitation of classroom instruction. Um, we have to think differently for an online environment. And when we do that, we can create highly effective experiences we can um we can create learning that's just as effective as what we were doing pre-covid in our classrooms um but what that's going to require us to do is rethink our role especially when we have a limited amount of time with students and so what the conversations i've been having um a, a couple of things one knowing that we're going to have to move between these models I think it's been really important to not separate what's synchronous face-to-face -face and what's synchronous at home and um, what we're doing asynchronously, what, what digital lessons that we're creating. I'm trying to think about this more holistically so that what I choose to do live face-to-face, -face, if we have to go home, that's what I'm choosing to do live at home um, so that although our environment changes and that causes a disruption, the the way we're learning and the, the mode of learning feels very similar. And I think that's what's going to help us be successful as we move back and forth. But then the other thing that we have to rethink is what is the most important role of the teacher when you do have time that's live with students, whether that is in a Zoom room and we're all sitting at home or I have you physically in my classroom. And when I think about my work in the classroom, the most important thing for that I was doing in the classroom was not standing in front of a room and lecturing. That wasn't that wasn't the critical thing that only a human could do in my room. It was the small group instruction that I had where it, where I took data that I was constantly getting from various formative assessment and then I helped meet students where they were. Um, and as a second grade teacher, you know, so much of that happened individually and in small group instruction. And that's the thing that technology can't replace. So the conversations I'm having are around, let the technology do what it does best. And you know what, the recording, that's a great thing that technology can do. You can give a, a high quality lecture or mini lesson and record it, and you don't have to now be there. You can now prioritize the thing that, you know, th those artful instructional decisions that you make as a teacher. Um, and what that looks like for a second grade teacher versus an art teacher versus a French teacher um, is all very different. But I was um, just talking with a French teacher at our high school who, um, you know, we've been, he's in a, in a hybrid environment. So two days face-to-face, -face, three days online. And he told me in a conversation just this last week that, you know, he's not teaching grammar like live anymore. 
And he realized that the most important role, when he only had two days with students, the most important role as a French teacher was speaking and listening and um, having those conversations with students. And that he could design high quality online lessons to teach grammar. Um, and, and he felt like this might, despite the constraints, this is better learning for his students where he was really um, thoughtful about prioritizing his time live. So that's me chasing a rabbit a little bit, but all of that to say, um, we have to get out of the mindset of synchronous has to be whole group instruction because when you do go remote or you you have students facing forward in rows and and their their cameras are turned off basically in real life um, because they're they're antsy and they've been sitting still all day. Um, that's hard. That's it's so hard to be effective um, live whole group instruction in this environment. And it's not the best use of your time. We can we can do better than that. That's a great response. Uh, and I, I was I have a quote here that basically reinforces exactly what you were just describing, which is it says from your book, as an advocate for online and blended education, I believe we can teach just about anything online and do it as well as we can without technology. Um, and and like you just described, you wrote these before COVID, uh, before the pandemic. Um, so we were just both curious as far as do you feel the pandemic obviously strengthened or weakened this argument? And 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 obviously you're supporting that, you know, through what you just finished describing there. It's that thing though, too, Michelle, where we feel the most comfortable, especially at the high school level. I've always taught at the high school level. I was a former Spanish teacher, so I know exactly what you're talking about, about flipping some of that learning um, to some short instructional videos um, and then having more active learning happen as far as in your class. But it, the most comfortable thing for a lot of us high school teachers, and I'm sure that some other people are going to be nodding their heads right now, is is to basically get into this professor kind of mode, you know, that, you know, all of these, and it's not like we haven't been talking about this stuff for many years, as far as it might not be the best way to go ahead and deliver instruction to be this, you know, the sage on the stage or whatever you want to call it, where you're the, the holder of all the content and you're delivering it that way. Um, I'm not sure if there's a question there, but, but <laughs> <laughs> as I'm as I'm going through all of this stuff here, but basically, like, do you feel the pandemic strengthened or weakened the argument for for your quote there, as far as in your book? And obviously, I, I believe you would think that it obviously strengthened that, correct? Right. I still yeah. feel really strongly that we can teach online just yeah. as well as we can teach face to face. I, I don't necessarily think that a fully virtual program is what is the right environment for all students, um, but it is the right environment for some students. Uh, however, I, I think the the reality is not all online learning or blended learning that our students are experiencing right now is high quality. Mm. Um, and, and, and I think the pandemic hasn't affected my opinion at um, much about the effectiveness, I think, of online and blended learning when done well. And I think that's key. Any Insert any buzzword here, you can do it well and you can do it poorly. Um, but what I, I do think it has reaffirmed is that it's different. And we yes. have to teach our teachers and our educational leaders what it means to teach online and in a blended environment um, because doing it the same way that we teach face-to-face -face just isn't going to cut it. 
before Mike asks this next question, do you think, Michelle, too, that many times, and this has happened, I think, especially since March, and Mike and I have been talking about this, all of these terms, blended, flipped learning, whatever might be, online learning. It's, it's like, like a bingo card. Yeah, no, it is. And you know what? You know what people think of when, when you start saying any of these terms? As far as educators and actually, I think parents now too, and students, actually, you can throw them into this mix. Think about tools, think about like ed tech things. Do you know what I mean? So, as soon as we started talking about online, whatever it might be, what was the biggest things that happened this March? People started talking about Zoom. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like we were talking about how do we do this effectively? It was like, what technology what do do, do, can we use to be able mm. to replace? kind of how we were doing things before, whether or not that was good, that that was actually sound teaching methods, especially not sound now, trying to move it and trying to replace it and, and, and become, and trying to do both at the same time and doing these things. But we get caught up a lot, don't you think? And, and kind of get sold on these things like, oh, all of these tools are now free. This is this. And let's talk <laughs> about, let's talk about the tools and all of these platforms and all of this stuff, you know? Versus the hard conversations, which is like what you were just describing. We have to kind of relearn and reteach our teachers of how do you actually do this effectively in this new age, you know, in these times now. Yeah, I, I think the ed tech company certainly didn't help that effort either. No. When in March, we received an email from every single company we've ever thought about or not <laughs> thought about letting us know how they were handling COVID-19. Um, <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think you're right. Um, and the the message, and, and I, I think it's because learning a tool is something like that. I almost feel like that's something that we can control pretty easily. Like if I'm feeling anxious and nervous because I'm thrown into this situation where I'm building the airplane while it's in the air, um, I can I can figure out Zoom. I can like check this thing off. And if I can figure out Zoom, then I feel like I'm more in control of the situation. So I I get why that is the first thing that we cling to. Mm -hmm. um, but but what I tell teachers, and from my own experience, I mean, I've been doing this for a decade. When I design online lessons, I still use five things. That's it. I I part of my job working in a school district um, and supporting teachers and supporting students is knowing about a lot of web tools and and figuring things out. But when it comes right down to it, my online toolbox is really, really small. Um, I pick a couple of tools that are intuitive for me, that are simple for students, that I can use in a lot of different ways in a lot of different contexts. And then I use those over and over again. And um, <clears throat> when, you know, I, I recently went to a conference and a friend of mine, Bill Ferreter, he's a phenomenal speaker and a teacher, and he gave a session on remote learning and tips for teachers for remote learning. And one of the things he said to me really resonated. He said that when we're building online, um, we have to simplify the tasks and raise the cognitive complexity. And um, that really stuck with me because I think we all can recognize that things are can feel a little bit harder when you're physically distant from the teacher, you're using these tech tools you've never used before. Um, and so we want to simplify the task, but that doesn't mean we have to simplify the learning. And so by sticking to a couple of tools that we know really well, we can provide that for our students and focus on, you know, raising that cognitive complexity. So I, um, I don't just I, I guess I, I'm with you. <laughs> I totally agree. We have to stop talking about tools. 
um, we have to we have to stop doing the tool training because mm. knowing how to use Zoom isn't doesn't mean you're you know how to teach well inside of a Zoom, and that's that's what's most important. So. Michelle, to to say we live in crazy times might be the understatement of the decade. Um, but you know, our our students are are here with us. Um, my kids, our kids, are you know seeing images on TV, hearing you know the political rhetoric. We're about to. I mean, if twenty twenty couldn't get more absolutely insane, we're entering a general election season. Um, and processing, you know, the reckoning that Western society is having over race. While there may be no larger need for blending learning than there is now, I think we've pretty clearly established that. I think there's also never been more of a need for things like empathy and compassion and understanding. And um, I'll even add in the ability for us to just listen um, in our teaching and to make that a core part of how we teach and, and, and what we do as teachers. So I'm curious how these two are reconciled. This idea of blended learning, which I've never personally, and maybe it's because I'm doing it wrong, and I'm fair, fair to, happy to admit that, that I, did it, that I didn't do it right, or that there is a way to do it that reconciles this need for, like, empathy compassion understanding the ability to listen things we associate with like personal connections right with blended learning where you know we are going to be teaching online and seeing our kids hardly at all um when we've probably they've never needed to see an educator more uh from a personal perspective so how do we reconcile those two problems I think uh, part of that goes along with prioritizing your live time with students and um, remembering that doesn't have to be whole group. It doesn't have to be 30 kids all in a Google meet. But when we think about those things that only humans can do, that only skilled teachers can do, it moves beyond academics. And I think, you know, having those conversations, building uh, those relationships, the social emotional learning piece that seems like a really good use of my live time with students. And so I think that's part of it. I also think the the powerful thing about blended learning and online learning, when it's done well, this is a highly individualized experience. And I think when I first fell in love with online learning, it was in a master's program at Indiana University. And I admittedly, I signed up for this thinking it was going to be easier. I, I feel bad. Like I should whisper that like as an online and blended learning advocate at this point. Um, but it's the reality. I didn't think it was going to be as good as any of my face-to-face -face experiences, but it, it fit in my schedule and I was going to be able to knock it out. And I had some of the best learning experiences of my life in that program. And it was because they did such a good job of um, being really intentional about building those relationships. And I felt like, my professors and my teachers were there specifically for me. Um, I built stronger relationships with my instructors than I, I had in my undergrad. And I left that program thinking, wow, every kid deserves this. doesn't mm -hmm. matter whether mm -hmm. they need it for their schedule. Um, and certainly it hadn't even crossed my mind that they would need it for a pandemic, but I just thought every kid deserves this. And, um, 
when when we're designing one of the one of the first things the if if you were to say Michelle you have 1 hour to to teach uh, uh, to teach teachers about blended learning and the, the most important thing they need to know I'm never going to talk about a tool training um, I'm going to talk about how we build in three kinds of interaction into our digital lessons um, whether those are synchronous or asynchronous um, that every high quality digital lesson will have student to student interaction, student to teacher interaction, and student to content interaction. And I would talk about that because regardless if, if you are a proficient instructional designer, um, can design beautiful uh, digital lessons and, and slides, or um, whether you're extremely proficient in, in the technical side and how to use those things, if you can build in those three kinds of interaction, even with really simple tools, then we know we're going to have an, an actively engaging experience and it, engaging not in an entertaining kind of way, like, oh, wow, I'm having so much fun with this Kahoot, but like engaging in, in a meaningful way that's built around connections. And I think that's at the heart of what blended learning looks like when it's done well. So I, I think you... You combine those two things and we do have an environment where we can support students um, in, in this world that they're living in right now. Michelle, learn tons today. And I'm sure that people that are listening to this want to be able to connect with you online and obviously be able to reach out to, to be able to purchase your book. Um, where, where can we find you online and where can we go purchase your book? So I am on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. You can find me everywhere. So if you search for me there, um, I will be there. I'm sure you all can share my handle. And sure. then the the book is available. Um, ISTE's website. So ISTE is my publisher. And if you're an ISTE member, you can get a discount. So that's nice. Um, but it's there. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, pretty much anywhere you can buy books online, you can find it. Michelle Eaton, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks, as always, for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.